So Gabe, I, uh, I basically come up to the camera and I'm showing you um, an AeroPress. So when it comes to coffee, I've tried all different types of techniques, different things. Um, oftentimes I like pour over, but sometimes I like the AeroPress. So what I like about the AeroPress is, is that basically you get like a little bit of the espresso at the end because essentially what you do is you flip it upside down. This is at least the way I do it. I grind the beans separately. I flip it upside down. I pour the, I pour the grinds in. I put the water in. I then let it sit for a minute. Then I flip it over and let it sit for a minute. And I let this happen for like a couple of minutes before I actually press it out. So it ends up getting a pretty strong cup of coffee. I add a little bit of water to it. And then sometimes if I'm feeling really, if I'm feeling really excited, I will add a little bit of oat milk just to piss you off. So basically lately though, I've just been having just straight black coffee, but AeroPress has been my go-to um, primarily because I feel like I get a nice strong cup of coffee with good flavor. And um, yeah, man. So that's what I was just showing you. So what do you use with your coffee? The pour over, right? Uh, no, I use a French press. Oh, uh, the French press. That's right. I saw that at your house. Um, yeah, dude. So I mean, it's pretty early over here on the West Coast. I'm headed to Missouri here in a minute. You know, one of the things I found to be interesting that I thought we could talk about was like go to um, like ideas once you finish like a long travel. So yesterday I went to Mark Bell's um, in Sacramento, which is about a two hour drive for me. So I drove two hours, drove two hours back and I was messaging with Kelly Star Starrett about what he recommends um, to be done once you get off either a long flight or a, a car ride. And he mentioned a few things. I thought we could just chat about for a second. So I thought they'd be helpful. So he was talking to me about walking, sitting on the floor, doing a couch stretch and elevated pigeon. Those were the four things that he said you should do after a long drive or a long flight. So I'll definitely be doing those later today in the hotel, but I just wanted to kind of spark the conversation with you about, you know, what do you do? And then I can kind of talk about, you know, why behind what he was saying. I mean, I think that sometimes, and I, you know, Kelly is, is an expert in this field and I think he knows really well. So those are all good things to kind of take note of, but I do think that sometimes and this goes for a lot of things in fitness. People get so caught up on like, what is exactly the thing that I should do? I think it's so much simpler than that, dude. If you're traveling for a long time, what does that mean? That means that you're not moving for a long time. So you should balance that out with some movement. And it's literally as simple as that. When we were traveling um, in the Airstream, you know, there were some days where, you know, we were on the road, especially on weekends, trying to get to our next stop for eight, nine hours. And, you know, the, the priority there was always getting some movement in before we hit the road and every pit stop that we had, every time we got gas or ever, you know, even if it was just some air squats or just going for a little bit of a longer walk, just something to move. I think that, you know, for some people that maybe get not overwhelmed, but like, well, what stretch do I do? Like, how long do I hold pigeon for? Like, how long do I lay on the ground? Like, I think that most people would benefit from like the simplest advice is if you're not going to be moving for a long time because you're traveling and that's outside of your control, just move, like find some time before you get on the plane to move, wake up a little bit earlier and hop on the bike for a little bit. Uh, make some time when you get there to go for a long walk. If you can, you know, I think it's just finding some time to get movement in those long travel days, I think goes a long, long way and just balancing out how much time you're staying still. Yeah. And 
fun, funny story. Yeah. I had, um, I like funny stories. I, I man, I, this would be perfect <laughs> if I could literally like get a video, the video of this. And I'm going to tell him that we talked about this. He'll be, he'll be, he'll laugh. Um, I have a friend who was like back when we were like super, super into CrossFit and like, you know, you have to like do all the crazy things that you see videos of. He went on a really long flight. I forget where, somewhere in Africa, because he was um, um, he was working for or volunteering for an organization that was going to go do some stuff there. So I think he had like a 14-hour flight. And he has a video of him doing like 100 air squats in like the, the alley of the, of the plane. And he's like a guy that sweats. So he's like, <laughs> dude, and he gives... He gives zero, zero shit what people think of him. And it's amazing because he's literally like not just like moving around a little bit. He's like doing a workout. He's doing like 100 air squats for time in like the the aisle of the airplane. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's like sweaty. And it's the most ridiculous scene ever. Oh, man. You know, I used to get yelled at by the flight attendants because – and I understand (laughs) it because like if I was sitting in the front of the plane – I get like, if I'm like messing around by like the cockpit door now, I used to like, even when I was competing or even just traveling, I used to like go over there and get like some stretching and like some bootstrappers and some other stuff. And dude, it gets people on edge, man. People don't like it when you're out of your seat and like doing something physical, especially <laughs> like, you, you know, I'm that guy who's kind of like grabbing my toes, doing some like bootstrappers, whatever. And um, even if the flight attendant was cool, like you could tell the other passengers like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And, um, Anyways, I had to start going towards the back of the plane if I want to do any stretching. But even then, they don't they don't like that stuff, dude. People don't like it. They get uncomfortable. And I can only imagine your buddy banging out 100 air squats. And, like, the sweat is the one that would kind of, like, oh, really dude. be funny. Could you imagine that? Just watching this dude just go from, like, zero to 100 real quick. Oh, it's it's I'll, I'll send you the video. I'll have him send me the video, and I'll send it to you because it's, it's pretty funny. Um, Dude, we were on a flight, uh, MDV and I were on a flight, or no, maybe it wasn't with MDV. We were on a flight to Asia and this gentleman took his, the socks, right? And I don't know if he didn't realize that the socks were supposed to go on his feet. I don't know. Oh, but no. he put them, um, no, he put them over his uh, earphones. And so he slid them onto his earphones. So he walked around with like almost like a <laughs> Scooby Doo, like 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 ear things coming off. Anyways, the stuff you see on airplanes is pretty funny. Um, uh, I love stuff going on. Obviously, M- MDB isn't joining us for this episode, but I love getting him going about flights because he's he doesn't enjoy flying, but he's also like you know doesn't shy away from giving you how it is with you know what he thinks of some people flying and and. And, you know, no, he's even more, he's even more over the top than, I mean, I, I don't really mind, man. I just know that, I mean, you know, that's a really <laughs> interesting, like kind of like pivot into a conversation, like whether you're swimming in the ocean, you're on an airplane, whatever, like at some point you just got to say, Hey man, I'm in, it's out of my control. I'm just going to go ahead and sit down and I'm putting myself in that position. Like if you choose to get on an airplane, you're going to choose to put yourself in a moderately stressful situation. You're in like a, basically a tin, tin box with, you know, 200 other people and you know, you just kind of got to be cool about it. It's the same thing. Like when I jump in the ocean, you know, I'm not like a huge, like swim in the ocean fan, but every time I get in, I just remind myself like, Hey, I'm in another person's world and like another animal's world. I just got to like be, be easy. Cause if I get in there and I'm all tense and, and whatever, I'm not going to, you know, do well. I mean, you know, the way it goes, like 
anyways, it, it kind of an analogy for life, right? If you put yourself in those positions, you got to know what you're getting yourself into, you know? Um, What's the longest, longest flight you've ever been on? I went to, um, I went to Dubai. Um, I went to Dubai and that was a long flight. That was like, so I've flown to Asia probably about maybe 15, 20 times. Um, so I've flown to Asia quite a bit, which is pretty long, but I've flown to Dubai, which I think was like, I don't know, 18 hours or something like that. But at the time, here's another interesting thing. 18 hours on, on like one plane one ride, flight. 18 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and I've gone to New Zealand, which was pretty far too, but the, the flight to Dubai was really interesting because at the time, one of like the Royal Prince's assistant wanted us to go out to go see if we can go open up gyms. And so when they flew us out, they flew me and my wife out and they flew us like, like best class. Like it was nice. And so that wasn't that bad because I felt like I was flying in a, you know, I don't know, a Bentley. So that wasn't that bad of an experience, but I've also gone to Africa and I've sat in like economy. Now that was, that was, that was rough too. <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are two completely different experiences. Um, I'm, I'm curious because you probably have, you've traveled so much more than me. So you probably have more experience with this. Are there, do those, do the lounges in airports, do those have gyms? No, no, not that I'm aware of. So I've flown, so, you know, Cathay Pacific, uh, you, you name it, you name the airline. I've flown quite a few. I have, to your point though, what I have done. Were you the one that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You worked that in the shower or something? Yeah, what I have done is I have done that. So there's there's two things that when I'm traveling abroad, you know, if I, if I have a heavy backpack on, I keep walking around the airport during like a layover, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I was at one lounge and I, I, I was feeling groggy. I was just feeling out of it. And I was like, you know what? I need a 10 minute AMRAP. And so I, I, I basically, I rented a shower and I just remember thinking to myself, so I'm in this shower and I'm doing um, air squats, pushups and sit-ups. And there was plenty of room and I was by myself. There was no one else around. But I just remember thinking to myself, like if there was someone waiting for my shower, I mean, I was in there for a while because I hit a 10 minute AMRAP. Then I took a shower <laughs> and this person's probably like, what the hell is this guy doing in there? You know, huffing and puffing, getting crazy on a workout. But hey, you know what it did? It, it, you know, I knew that when I got off that next flight, I had to go straight into meetings. And I knew that if I got in that workout, it would put me in a better mindset. It would, it would make me feel better. And so you kind of got to do what you got to do. You know, like this morning, I'm going to get in the plunge before I get on the um, flight because I know at the end of the day, it's going to make me feel better. I, I don't necessarily want to, right. I don't really want to, you know, it's, it's five forty in the morning here. It's still dark on the West coast. And I don't really want to go in a cold plunge at 5.50 in the morning, but I know it's going to make me feel better. So I make those sacrifices, you know? Yeah. Getting into the cold plunge early in the morning too is, is not, it doesn't just feel harder. It is harder because your um, core body temperature is a lot lower. Um, it goes up naturally during the day, but you're kind of your coldest. I think I, I remember hearing your body temperatures your coldest two hours before you wake up and then it gradually kind of heats up. So it is a little tougher in the morning. Two hours before you wake up, it's the mm -hmm. coldest because you had basically been like that dormant state is what you're yeah. saying. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I was talking to a guy yesterday, actually in SEMA, I was over at Mark Bell's and we were, we were doing some stuff, some workouts. And in SEMA says that he has his cold plunge at 42 degrees. Now mine's at 55. And I, I like to say it's because I get the kids in it, but it's really just because that's currently what I can handle. Like I can't handle yeah. much more. Uh, 42 seems really cold. Is that right? 42 is cold. I keep mine at 39. 
Oh, oh. oh man. It's cold. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's cold. And you know, again, it's like the uh, I keep it at 39 just because I I kind of like for silly reasons wanted it in the 30s because it seems kind of really cold. But I've been doing this stuff for a while. And for me, like that is very much like doable and I can do the three minutes and I do my breath work. But, you know, for anyone else that's like thinking of starting doing this stuff or like, you know, as even just with the cold showers, like the benefits really lie in doing something that is uncomfortable. There isn't like a, a temperature that like unlocks what you're trying to do with cold exposure. And I, yeah. I think I'm, obviously there's a threshold to that. Like if 70 degree water is super uncomfortable for you, you're probably not getting all the benefits of that. Right. I think that they say that anything below 60 is like you start kind of getting the, the, um, like the adrenaline and the, the kind of some of the, the, the hormones to get released that you want released when you kind of do that kind of stuff. But again, it's all just relative to, something that's going to make you uncomfortable, um, that feels cold, but is, is bearable so that you never feel out of control, which is important. Yeah. You know, I, I, look, we talk about the cold plunge all the time. We talk about, uh, you know, cold all the time. And I think the reason why we talk about it so much is just because it's been really impactful for me and for others around me. One of the things that I did, one of my friends has a pool and his pool was like, a, he, he said it was like a 55 degrees. I think it was a little bit warmer than that, but that's fine. And Basically, we did a plunge together in that. And I think that that like pure, not not pure pressure, but like pure um like that camaraderie helped him do it for the first time. And so for people who are interested, I do think like what makes it easier for me is like if Gabe's over and maybe we do something together, it does make that experience a little bit easier. Like if you go in the ocean, I think going in the ocean for a little bit when it's cold with someone else does make that experience at least easier for me. Then over time, once you kind of build that confidence up. Obviously, you should start doing it on your own because that's a major part of it. But just a side note, if you have a pool and you want to go into it, just walk into it, sit there for a minute. After a minute, you'll cool down, you'll you'll calm down, and then just stay there for a few more minutes and get the heck out. But find a friend if you, if you don't want to do it on your own. You know, one thing that I wanted to go back to a little bit, because I think it's important, is differentiating, like, you know, when you told the story of finding the, booking the shower in the lounge to get a workout in. You know, one thing that people have to realize is sometimes there's this, I think, un, you know, it, it's no longer serving you. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it unhealthy, but there's this like obsession with like, if I don't get a workout in today, like my fitness is in the shitter. Like if I don't get a workout in today, like all the work that I've done for the past week is done because I plan to get a workout today. And I think that that's one extreme and I've been there. I know I have where like, you know, if I'm traveling somewhere, I like have to find the nearest gym. When can I drop in? When do they have open gym times? Like if I don't do my programming today, it's the end of the world. And that, you know, luckily I've, I've kind of matured from that. And, and looking back on it, it's definitely a silly way to look at it. But I think that, you know, the way you approach it is different, right? It's, it's you know, that activity serves you to where it sets you up for the other things that you want to excel at. So I think that that's an important differentiation to make because some people here going these extreme lengths to get a workout in at the airport and be like, well, do I really need to do that? Like if today I'm traveling and all I do is 
walk around the airport a little bit, maybe move around a little bit before I get on the flight. Like, is that not enough? Do I have to book the shower and do a 10 minute imam? And no, right? Like it's, it's, it's relative, but I think that acknowledging the fact like you did that that's what just set you up to feel better for the important meetings you had afterwards, that's an important differentiation. Yeah, and one of the things I'm trying to get across to the kids um, is, is that exact same thing. And recognizing that consistency, like we've talked about, like putting money, just a little bit of money every day. Um, and some days maybe don't put as much as others, but I think what's really important for the kids to notice, and this is a really good takeaway, is that you know I do these things because I know they're gonna make me feel better and it's just been a part of my lifestyle for a long time. But like, I'm not getting after it every single day as hard as I can, I'm not. And I'm okay with that. And I think that it's important for the kids to realize that if they want fitness to be a part of their life every single day, they can't have a toxic relationship with it. Meaning they can't feel guilty if they don't crush it today, or they can't feel guilty if they don't do anything today. There's some days that you, you aren't going to do much. And there's some days where you go into the garage or you go into the gym and you're not feeling as good on those days. Instead of like making yourself feel bad, you should just, Hey, today a win is, you know, whatever. And I'm out. Yesterday, for example, Ava was, um, we were walking on the treadmill like we always do, and she got in the, the cold plunge, and she wasn't really feeling it. And I was like, dude, if you're not feeling it, just go in for a minute. Don't go in at all. She's like, all right, I'll go in for two minutes. And she went in for two minutes instead of four. But for her that day, that was a win. And I think that it's important for us to regulate that because if you start making yourself, like for example, if I pushed her, if she pushed herself to do four minutes yesterday when she really wasn't feeling it, over time, I think that compounds and it starts making this negative impact of fitness versus just like, hey, if you're feeling good today, like today, I bet you she'll be feeling good when she wakes up here in 20 minutes. I bet you she'll go in for four or five minutes, whereas yesterday, maybe she wasn't. And I think that's okay. Um, that, that's taken me a long time to wrap my head around, but it's something I think about on a regular basis is that you know, giving yourself this kind of like leeway is actually the, the recipe for the long-term sustainability. How do you how do you balance that though with when maybe like you just got to give yourself a kick in the pants because it's been two straight weeks of you well, giving yourself some leeway? Well, I mean, that's a little bit of a different, you know, for me, I, I if you look at a spectrum, right? And you say, okay, on the left spectrum is people who, you know, don't exercise at all. And on the right spectrum is people who exercise way too often. And some would say are addicted. I would say that I'm more on the right. Um, and if you're more on the left, you might need to identify ways to motivate yourself on a regular basis to get even towards middle way. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a good way to look at it, Gabe, but you know, I think that if, if that's the case, you need to rally around a community. I, I, I do. I think that if you naturally are a person where you are just uninspired and unmotivated to exercise, you really need to find a deep reason why you want to do it and, or go connect with the community. You know, like yesterday, my sister went back towards one of our gyms. She hasn't been in a while. And I think she's realizing that being in the garage by herself, she's she's lacking that that consistency because it is tough to, to self-motivate. It is tough to do that. And it's not as fun. And so over time, if that's not going to lead you to this long distance trajectory, you got to switch some things up. And going and finding a gym is a great option for that. Because once you get in the car and once you get in the class, you're kind of committed. Um, so that's that would be my advice there. Yeah, I think it's a really it's a really tough thing to, um, um, to replicate, you know, that accountability and the experience of going to a gym and, and rubbing shoulders with people. You know, I think that COVID was an interesting time because it forced a lot of people to make it work at home, 
you know, get a Peloton, um, you know, find an app that they can follow at home, build out their garage gym, so on and so forth. And I think that a lot of people, especially people that, you know, knew how important prioritizing their health was or just enjoyed fitness, were really good about doing that for a certain amount of time. But I feel like as we, you know, as we come out the other side, people are going to want to go back to just being around people. I think it's it's just naturally where we're going to go. And it's an interesting thing to talk about because it impacts obviously our business and a lot of the businesses of people that might be listening to because, you know, people will seek out gyms again. I, I, I'm, I'm very confident, you know, like, so I'm, I'm traveling out today to go to Missouri to go film with a company called Garage Gym Reviews. And we were honored by them. And I, I would put them at um, the tip of the spear when it comes to um, equipment review companies for specifically for like a home gym, they are at the tip of the spear. And we were honored to be named uh, the number one functional training app, the NC Fit app. And so I'm going out there to go film some content with them, some educational content to really try and make an impact on people who train in their garages, share some insight over my 15 years being in the gyms. And I'm honored to have that piece of our business because for those people who are at home and are looking for a solution to their fitness, we got you, we got your back. Um, but if or when the time comes where, you know, you find yourself day in and day out, like dreading what you're doing, you know, you got to look at it and either say, Hey, I might need to switch up the program I'm doing and, or switch up the environment I'm in. And that's what we're seeing a lot of at our gyms. I think that there's this new hybrid, almost like the hybrid workplace where people are kind of working from home two, three days a week, working in the office two, three days a week. It's this nice blend. I find that a lot of people are starting to do that in the gyms. They're coming in three days a week while also at their house two, three days a week. And it's, they found what works for them. And maybe that'll work for them for the next year or two. And then maybe they'll have to pivot. But ultimately, um, you know, the industry has shifted. And I think people are coming back to the gym because they miss that camaraderie, that energy. I mean, I know that I love it. And specifically, if you're interested in like things like jujitsu, you have to have a training partner. There's no other option about it. So being in that community is, is, is number one. Yeah, no, it's super interesting to see. Like my parents, for example, you know, moved from New York out here to Texas. And one of the first things that they found was a gym to go to because it's it's one of the most important parts of, you know, even their social life. You know, like back home, the gym that they went to was really the place where they had most of their most of their friends. And, you know, here it's immediately plugged them into a community. You know, it's funny because I was here an entire year before they moved out here. And my parents have been like invited to a wedding and to parties and to these things. And I've been here for like another year. And, you know, like, I feel like we don't have, like me and Ariel don't have the network that they do. Um, also, my parents are like the most lovable people ever. So they join a gym and people like, you know, kind of gravitate towards, you know, them right away, which is awesome. But it's been funny to see because like they're they're almost getting invited and, and and have a bigger network than me and Ariel do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, most people when they move places, like you have your you have your gym, you have your church, um, you know, they're, 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 they have similar characteristics to them, right? And um, you can definitely connect with people. So I mean we're like I said, here in the Bay Area in particular, where I'm I get a lot of exposure to our gyms, I'm seeing it. And I think if gym owners aren't seeing it, they will be seeing it soon. You know, I was on a, a partner call recently. So every Monday, so NC Fit, we have, a, uh, you know, main, mainly three verticals, as you know, that we generate, you know, that 
our, is our business. We have corporate wellness, we have digital, and we have um, brick and mortar. Well, part of our brick and mortar um, component is the NC Fit Partner Program. So we have partners throughout the U.S. and we actually have one in Canada, and they opened six weeks ago. And Jermaine um, in in Canada, you know, he's he's seeing eighty members already in six months and six weeks because he's saying that they're they're seeing that next flow, right? People have been at home and boom, his business is doing really well. So that was exciting to see. And for any gym owner listening who hasn't seen that kind of growth, depending on where you're at in the world, you will eventually see it. It's just taking some cyclical time based on, you know, government regulations and also, you know, public perception and how, how safe people feel going back in the gym, which is, which is a tough, tough pill to swallow. You know, it's difficult. And tough also because I feel like it's so out of gym owner and coaches controls based on where their location is. And it can also be frustrating because, you know, like for us in California, you know, both public perception and policy is very different than other places in the U.S. So you see other gyms and you're like, you know, they've been operating for months and, you know, they seem to be killing it. And, you know, here things are a little different. So I definitely get how it can be frustrating for some gym owners because it seems like why is my area the only area that's being this impacted yep. than other places? For sure. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, one of the topics that I talked about with the partners this week, and I, I think it's relevant to, you know, is, was this idea that basically, you know, not to beat yourself up and you made the best decision you could at the time when you made it. And I, I think that that's a really interesting topic specifically for gym owners or anybody coming out of COVID. If they're looking at, oh man, I, I was renting a really expensive space for my primary residence. I was doing this, doing that. Why did I do that? And, 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 what I shared with them and I'll share with you again is this idea that sometimes I'll walk into our Campbell gym and I'll see this big office. And when we sign that lease, you know, we sign under this idea that like, Hey, in the next two, three, four years, we're going to build up HQ. We're going to have a bunch of people sitting here. It's a good idea to have this big office and which is located in one of our gyms. Now here we are years later, COVID happened and no one's sitting in there and it feels like it's a wasted space. But at the time when we signed that lease at the time, when we started building out this process, at the time, it felt like the best decision. And I think that's important for us to note. And this is just something I wanted to just touch base on with you, Gabe, is like something I've been reflecting on a lot lately is not like getting mad at myself for decisions we made months or years ago. Like you decided, for example, to Airstream. You decided to move to Seguin. You decided to do all these different things. And in hindsight, maybe you wouldn't have done some of them. I'm not saying that's the case. But I'm just saying at the time, you made the best decision you could with the information you had. And that's just something I've really been thinking about lately because sometimes I find myself, whether it's in life or in business, kind of getting frustrated about maybe previous decisions that I made years and years ago. But if you really reflect on that, and at that time, it really was the best decision. I mean, there's really nothing else to say because information changes and life changes. So for any gym owner out there who's kind of struggling with some of that stuff or anybody in life, that's something I've been reflecting on a lot is like, hey, at the time when this decision was made, was it the best decision? If you say yes at the time, well, then what the hell is there to get mad about? Because you would do that decision again, you know? Yeah. You got to listen to your gut, man. I think that that's, that's, and I know that that's like a little cliche to say, but I feel like, yes, there's the information you have at the time, but I, I think we all have that kind of gut feeling of like, even when a decision seems like the riskier thing to do, or, Hey, there's all these reasons that could, this could not work out. I feel like we always have like an inkling pushing us towards making one decision versus another. And I think that, you know, people trusting that a little bit more could go a long way. And this is, this is, it's funny if, if 
my wife Ariel were listening to this, she'd be she'd be smiling because she's the one that kind of approaches things in that way a lot more. I'm a little bit more logical, but you know, she's a big reason that we've we've made some leaps and and ultimately they've been some pretty pretty good decisions. Um, whereas maybe I, who have a little bit more analytical brain, may, may not have made them. Um, but one question I have for you, Jay, uh, you know, do you think that the lesson learned there, especially as people now maybe are thinking of opening of a gym or thinking of renegotiating um, a lease or maybe finding a new location, is the lesson there to always try and go for less and not more if you're on the fence about which way to take? Like say, you know, you have two options. One is 2,000 square feet. So a little bit on the smaller side than our ideal. And the other one is more on like the 5,000. They both have their pros and cons. Is the lesson there to always go with less because you can always do more down the road versus doing more now and hoping that you need that down the road? I think this is a really interesting question. And I, so if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have focused on doing going less and then building and then pivot. So here's the, here's the, our first location was 1500 square feet. Second location was 2,500 square feet. Signed a six month lease on the first one, signed an 18 month lease on the second one, and then moved on from there. Now that's difficult to do this day and age because of TIs and build outs. So when you, when you, when you, not to go off on a completely business tangent, but I think this is important to note when you, when you're a business owner and you look at tenant improvements, and let's just say you go in there and you spend a hundred grand to improve your space to get it to optimize with the way you're going to perform at your gym. Well, if you amortize that over a, a one-year or two-year lease, let's just let's just take this argument. You sign a one-year lease and you put a hundred grand into it. That's eight grand a month of of expense, right? Well, or a hundred grand a month, if a hundred grand a year. If you look back on that and you say, "Hey, month number one, I'm profitable," which would be unlikely. But let's just say you are. Even if you're profitable from a business perspective you would have to take into consideration those TIs in a one-year span to see if it was even worth signing that lease in the first place. Because you can get one year in, you can still be profitable on a monthly basis, but you might not have made back your 100,000 in TIs. And if the landlord doesn't want to renew your lease or if you need to leave, that's not good. On the flip side, right? If you take on too big of space and you aren't profitable, but if you had half the space, you would be killing it. That's also a problem. So I think there's this fine line. So in the beginning, back in the day of early days of CrossFit, you didn't have to spend much in TIs. You'd put some paint on the walls and you were good to go. So at that point, we were able to get away with six month, one year, two year leases because our, our, our improvements were minimal. If you spend a lot in improvements, you need a longer term lease. If you spend less in improvements, you could probably get away with a short term lease. And then also, how easy is it for you to find a new space? So if you're like a coffee shop that can maybe go into a variety of different places or a gym, Maybe it's not that big of a deal if you sign short-term leases, but if you're like a very structured type of business, we need to spend a bunch of money like a restaurant to build it out. You probably want a longer-term lease with extension options. So I think in, to summarize where I'm going with this, I think the sweet spot, if I was to redo it again, I would sign like a two-year lease, three-year lease with, with options to extend. Now, not all landlords want to do that, but that's what I would look for. Two years, with like three-year options to extend, I think is a sweet spot. Now, at some of our locations right now, we've been on seven-year leases. So when you look at like a COVID happening or something like that, you're on the hook still for another X amount of years. Maybe if we weren't, it would have changed things. So I, I definitely think that um, 
It's a complicated question, but those are considerations to think about. And options are always a great way to go. And personal guarantees are always a great way not to go if you don't have to. <laughs> All good information. I just, it's, it's even hearing you explain that I think is very telling with just how much goes into making these decisions that sometimes I think are taken a little lightly and, you know, it's, it's, well, I'm super passionate about this and I can make it work. And, you know, everyone always brings up the napkin math of like, well, rent is this much and I have this many memberships. Like I'm good to go. Like this thing will be great. Um, there's obviously a lot more that goes into it than just that. Yeah. And, and also like looking at your, your intention. So I was talking to a gentleman, I was at an event recently called Sandlot Jacks with Go Rock and it was great. And I was talking to a gentleman, he came up to me, he's like, Hey, I really want to open up a gym. I said, okay, great. Why? He's like, well, I'm former military and he, you know, had, you know, obviously served and we we're obviously very appreciative for his service. And he said, I want to um, now go back and go help my local community by making donations to um, a, a specific charity organization. And I want to open up this gym as a way to then drive donations towards this charity. I said, okay, well, that's very admirable. But if that's the intention to start off with, you just have to be aware that you're not starting a hobby. You need to start a business and your goal as the business shouldn't be to um, necessarily make it charitable. Your goal should be to be as profitable as, as possible because with those profits, you could then go back and go donate. You know, I, I think there's this weird line where people, they feel bad talking about trying to make money or create profits, but ultimately with more money, with more profits, you can provide for more people and go do really good stuff. And so if you're interested in starting a business and you want to have a philanthropic arm, I think that's incredibly powerful. At NC Fit, we're very much so um, supportive of pediatric cancer in particular because of our background. But if we didn't create profits, there's nothing to give back to pediatric cancer. So we need to focus on first and foremost is our business being very, very um, streamlined, consistent, being very, um, you know, locked in. And then we could take those profits and go do really good stuff with them. So that would be my motivation for anybody who wants to do something philanthropic, lead with the business, and which drives the philanthropic versus leading with philanthropic because then maybe you treat your business like a hobby and you won't have enough money to then donate to that philanthropic effort you're interested in. Yeah, it's like putting the cart before the horse a little bit, right? Like because you want this to have a philanthropic arm, you know, it's like, well, then you almost don't want to be so focused on growing the business. But again, like you said, you have to grow the business to be able to do it. Yeah. And people almost feel bad, Gabe. Like when I talk mm -hmm. to them, it's almost like they feel bad about trying to create a for-profit business. You shouldn't feel bad. And I felt bad for a lot of years because early in CrossFit days, like it was taboo to talk about creating profit and growing a business. It was like, no, it was all about the community. And it's like, I get that. But looking back at it now, I wish more people were talking about the business side because I think more gyms would have been successful impacting more members and ultimately being able to do more good things for their community. And so that's, that's kind of like the takeaway that I had for this gentleman is like, look, man, I think what you're doing is admirable. I think you should go out there and you should go do it, but you should lead from the front with the business and then that'll lead to everything else you want to go do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, I got, I, uh, I appreciate you jumping on and rapping with me about a bunch of stuff. You know, it's early on, on in your time, but it's, it's early over here. Yeah, I got as early as it is for you. Oh, dude. So 610, I wake up Ava, which is in three minutes. And uh, we hit up our workout and we hit up our plunge. And it's been something that's really, that consistency piece for her and for me just starts the day off really, really right. It's a nice way for me to feel 
connected and it's a nice way for her to get in some good movement, especially knowing that she'll be in school for the next X amount of hours. So it's, it's been really helpful for me. I think any parent that, you know, I've talked about this a lot, but if you have kids and, and, and you find that they're flustered in the morning and you as a parent are like, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting because we want them to go off into the world and be at, at calm and have a good day. But sometimes when we wake them up and then we're getting them ready for school, we're like yelling at them, let's go, you know, hurry up. And I think that if we could just wake them up a few minutes earlier and kind of get them into a nice schedule where they don't feel so rushed right when they wake up, it's been really helpful for us to send them off to school then in a better state of mind and not feeling flustered. That's been, that's been a takeaway as of recently. Love that, man. Cool. Well, brother, I, uh, I appreciate you. Um, for those of you who have not checked out the NC Fit app, I am going out to go film content because we are ranked the number one functional training app. So if you have not checked out the NC Fit app, make sure you do. And if you have been using it, something I was thinking about, Gabe, is, um, dude, we got to get some more reviews on the app store because I think people love it, but they haven't left us a review. So if you've been using our NC Fit app and you haven't left an, a review, please go on there, leave us a, preferably a positive review. If you don't like it, hit up Gabe and I, let us know why not. And if you're a gym owner out there and you have not checked out the NC Fit Collective, we're, we're doing some really, really cool things there and you should definitely go look at it. Gabe, any kind of closing remarks here as you uh, go on? I'm sure you have your farm chores you got to go do right now. That's right, man. You got to go out and take care of all the, uh, take care of all the animals. No, I mean, I, I, I love what you're doing with Ava because one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that I've done that has just helped me so much is this whole idea of starting the morning off so much earlier than you need to. Um, it just, it, it sets the tone for the day and lets you get some wins before everything starts. Um, so I love that she's getting that early on. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer that starting the day early and just getting some wins before the chaos of the day is, is super important and a great way to start, man. So I love that. Dude, hundred percent. Yeah. Now I just gotta get Caden on the same boat, but at least we got one of them. So <laughs> well, well get after it, brother. Go hit up your chores. Thank you everybody for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed and uh, see you again next week for another episode.